0: Uh, so today, my message is the art of war: fighting fairly and forgiving quickly. How many of you in a relationship have ever been in a fight? How many got on a fight in a fight on the way to church this morning? <laughs> that happens a lot, right? Um, but isn't it true that we don't fight against flesh and blood? Don't we? Don't we always say that, right? And um, didn't Jesus already secure the victory? So what are we fighting for? Um, And doesn't God tell us many times that the fight is not ours? And we just need to be aligned with him and walking in love, joy, and peace? We don't need to fight. Um, Don't we have the favor of God? Everybody say, I have the favor of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you have the favor of God. Yeah, we have favor, so why are we fighting? We don't need to fight over who's the boss in our relationship, because you know who's the boss in our relationship? God right? So what are we fighting for? So as this Nick would say, we're on the same team in relationship. We're all on the same team, right? In our relationship, on God's team. So the truth is we really don't fight in relationship. I'm going to reframe this for you. We have passionate conversations, very, very passionate conversations together. We have high-spirited exchanges. This is what we do. And my favorite, we have intense and often loud fellowship discussions. It's just fellowship. We're just fellowshipping from two different perspectives. It's not really called a fight. So we're not going to practice the art of war. We're going to talk about what we need to do to really fellowship intensely in a healthy way. So what I'm going to do today is share three reasons why that intense fellowship can often feel like a fight. But it really isn't. We're just passionate about what we believe. You may not know this, but my favorite book in the Bible is the book of James. <laughs> you may have heard that before. It really is. It's, it's all about action. And so we're going to go for lesson number one about why we fight or have these intense fellowship discussions. James talks about in James 3, the untamable tongue. Everybody stick your tongue out. That's what we're talking about right there. The untamable tongue, right? He says in James 3, 2, indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. If we could control our tongues. So the fact that he says, if we can control our tongues, means we don't control our tongues very well, right? There's something in there. And later on in the middle, he talks about that the tongue is the spark that sets fires, right? Somewhere in the middle of that scripture, it sets fires. And think about when a fire is set, it just takes a spark, and then the scar damage is lifelong lasting, right? So when we use our tongue to make sharp comments that don't build people up, don't edify people, we create scars in our relationships that even though we apologize and even though we forgive, there's lasting effects that we can't undo, right? Because of this tongue. The tongue has been called the world's smallest troublemaker. (laughs) It is so small, but it makes so much trouble that we have to go and undo, right? Um, A few years ago, about seven years ago, I was in between jobs, um, had spent 21 years at a company, and that job ended, so I was looking for a job, found a new job, was a better job. You know, we had just really gotten into faith and sought God for, for his blessings, and so we decided to take an impromptu trip to the Dominican Republic, and so we bought this trip really quickly it was expensive and so we went three weeks later and so we had some of those in preparation for leaving that morning some of those intense fellowship discussions everybody ever had that on your way to a trip and the rest of the trip is like tainted by that that (laughs) in the house you know you you get to the airport and you want to sit across the aisle from each other you don't even want to sit next to each other because you've you've got all this stuff going on so the trip was great we had a great time but What's funny is when we talk about it, go, we go, hey, remember when we went to the Dominican? Yeah, we were fighting back then. Like, <laughs> That's all that we remember is the fight that happened because of the things that we said to each other. And so those memories that we want to create sometimes are clouded by the things that we say. Right? That's that untamable tongue. Um, in James 3.7, it says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, fish. We can do it all, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil and full of deadly poison. Some of the things we say are like poison to people. Think about the things that we say to the people that we love, not much less the people that we don't get along with. We say these things. In 9, it says, sometimes it praises our Lord. Our same tongue can praise the Lord, and it can curse those who have been made in God's image. That just doesn't seem right, right? That tongue. But the answer is not that the tongue is untameable, but by ourselves, we aren't able to tame it, and we need the Holy Spirit, right? We need the Holy Spirit to guide what comes out of our mouths. As my mom used to say, watch your mouth. That's what she meant, right? Watch what comes out of your mouth because you can't take it back. You can apologize. You can ask forgiveness, but the damage is already done. So that untameable tongue is one of the reasons that we get into those tough discussions. So for the answer, let's go to James again. James 1.19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I'm, I'm going to read this from the Amplified now just to give a little bit more definition. Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let everyone be quick to hear, which means be careful and thoughtful listener. Be slow to speak. It doesn't mean slow your nasty words down. <laughs> That's not what it means. <laughs> it means to use carefully chosen words. And slow to anger. Be patient, reflective, and forgiving. It's very intentional. There's something called the five-second rule, and it's not about when you can pick up food off the floor. The five-second rule says when you need, think you need to speak something, Pause. Count backwards. Five, four, three, two, one. Check in with the Holy Spirit. Make sure that what you're going to say is on purpose before you speak. It's a great time. Nick would tell you, in science, the back of the brain gets rewired to the front of the brain, and now you're in the place where all rational thought and content comes from, In the 4%, right? And so in that five seconds... (laughs) So in that five seconds, you really he can tell you it really rewires your brain to think from the place where we make conscious, rational thought. So that five seconds, I say check in with the Holy Spirit, Nick says it rewires the brain. All right? So so do that. And so one of the things I want to give you is a solution to being able to think through that before you speak. It's called think before you speak. Now, when when I was looking for this and I found this, it's funny, all the pictures that I found we like primary school colors. They had apples and things. You know why that is? Because this is what they teach kids in school. <laughs> this is, and, and you, you guys have heard that everything we need to know in life, we learn by the time we're in third grade, right? So this is one of those elementary school teaching things about how we need to think before we speak. So the first question we need to ask ourselves in those five seconds is, is what I'm about to say true, right? If it's not true, we shouldn't be even thinking about speaking it, Right? The next is, is what I'm about to say helpful to anybody? Helpful to me, helpful to them. Not just is it true, but is it actually helpful? I, inspiring. We're supposed to be uplifting, encouraging, empowering. We're supposed to radiate joy with our words, right? Because we're vessels of God. Inspiring. Necessary. Here's the one that people miss. Is it even necessary for me to say this? Is it something that's really required, essential? Ask yourself this question, so what? What if I didn't say that? Would there be any negative outcome or positive? And sometimes because it's true, we think, no, I got to tell it, it's true. But we really need to think through, is it necessary? Sometimes we cause conflict that isn't necessary because we say things that aren't necessary. Amen? And then the last is how we do it kind. Is it gentle, good-natured, merciful, and loving? So before you speak, take that pause and think before you speak. Now, look, look at those characteristics that we just talked about. Who does that remind you of? Jesus, right? Think about being thoughtful and kind and being necessary and speaking truth to people, but really understanding what the purpose of it was. So all we're doing is being more like Jesus with a very simple way of thinking and pausing before we speak. Does that make sense? All right, number two. The number two reason we sometimes have these intense fellowship conversations is because we have the wrong objective in our conversations. See, we confuse the objective of agreement with understanding. We think we have to agree. How many of you have ever been in a conversation and you just start to talk and someone says, I disagree? Then you're, then you're off to the, the, gloves are off and it's a fight because now you have to fight for agreement you don't even get to be understood. And many times, we just want to be heard. We just want someone to hear our heart, and we never get to the end of it because someone throws in the agreement card, and now we both have to fight and convince each other and persuade and, and cajole and twist arms to get someone to believe something because we change the focus from understanding to agreement. When we pursue understanding, we get to deeper levels of communication Because then we get to know what's in somebody's heart. We don't get to know just what they think, but what's actually in their heart. A good thing to say to someone when they're talking to you instead of, I disagree, is tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Let a person get to the end. Kimberly and I have this um, process that we use to discuss things that are intense that we know are going to be intense. called a five-minute check-in. And it never takes only five minutes, by the way. (laughs) That's just the start is the five minutes. And so we'll sit down across the table and we'll say, hey, I've got something I wanna share. And it's usually um, initiated by one of us. So it's not a back and forth conversation. So a couple of weeks ago, we had had a tough conversation on, I think it was on a Saturday, it was Monday. And I kept thinking, man, you know, in the past, those conversations would lead to breakdowns in our communications for hours, for days, and sometimes for a week. We would just lose all that time because of staying caught up in things. And so it was Monday, and I'm like, we're not going past Monday with this being stuck, and I've got something I want to share. So we sat down, and we have something called the talking stick, where one of us has the stick that talks. And the rule is, whoever has the stick is the only one moving their mouth. The other person has to listen with their ears. They get to listen quickly, right? So I was sharing and sharing and sharing. But before that conversation, it's always set up like this. Listen, honey. There's nothing that we would ever disagree about that's more important than our relationship. So I just want to affirm you right now, because many times we feel that the conversation is going to be about us not feeling loved, and that's where the fight comes in, right? So we say, I just want you to know nothing we'd ever disagree about is more important than our relationship. Our connection is the number one thing. And with that said, let me tell you a few things. And so, so I started, I went to sharing whatever was on my heart. It kept coming out, kept coming out. I kept talking. I kept looking. No response. Like, this is weird. Kept going, kept going. I actually got to the end of everything I thought and field, felt. And it was the weirdest thing in the world because I actually got to the end. And then I was good. There was no action. There was no decision. There was nothing needed. It was just about being hurt in a situation. And I realized that once I got it all out, We could move on, and there wasn't a need to really have a discussion. So when you change the objective to understanding and two people can be heard, a lot of times there isn't a need for a decision, and you don't have tension, and you don't have that fighting that goes on. Um, One of the the tips that I'll give you um, from the book of James, which is the book of me, is that when you're having conversations with people, never use the word why. Why? W-H-Y. Let me tell you why. The reason is there is no way. You try this. There is no way to ask somebody why when they tell you something without it coming across as judgmental, condemning. Because what you're trying to do is you're really trying to question someone's motivation. And that's not your job. Your job is to understand. So eliminate the word. Well, it's hard because we always say, why? Why'd you do that? Why'd you? And there is no way. I don't care how soft you say it. Why? It doesn't matter. If you say why, you're, you're, you're questioning someone's person, right? There is no Try it. There's no way to do it. So what you want to do is use words like, what were you thinking? What did you think you'd get from that? How did you think that would work? Where did you think that was going to go, right? So when are you going to see the fruit of that? So ch- change to use other words, but do not use why. It is the hardest thing to do. Take the challenge. Do not ask your kids or family members or anybody why, and watch how it keeps the defensiveness down and allows for the communication to flow. Connection is our number one priority in relationship. It's all about connection, and it starts with understanding. You know, Jesus said in Luke six forty five, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So a lot of these issues that we deal with in communication are not issues of the other person. They're issues of our own heart. It's a heart check it is our own heart condition. I like to say when we point fingers at people, there's three fingers pointing back right at our own heart. That's where we need to focus. So before we go outside, we need to look inside. Focus on what's going on inside ourselves. because really communication does nothing but expose what's going on inside our heart. The issue is not about money. The issue is not about the dishes. The issue is not about you didn't buy me this, you didn't do that. It's never those things. It's a heart-level issue that's being exposed through all these other symptoms. And when we chase after the symptoms and try to outperform our partner's expectations, it doesn't work. Because you can't outperform someone else's heart. But what you can do is communicate it back and forth and understand what's going on inside that heart. Um, Many of us, the problem is many of us weren't taught to really interpret and understand our thoughts, our feelings, and our needs. Our thoughts, our feelings, and our needs. I don't know about you, but in my house, if I had a breakup with a girlfriend, if I struck out in baseball, if I missed the free throw, if I got an F on a test, no one ever said to me, how does that make you feel? How are you feeling? Tell me more about your feelings. It was always about the actions. Okay, next time we're gonna do this. We're gonna get you a tutor. We're gonna get you a coach. We're gonna it was always performance-based. So what I learned was, oh, love happens when you perform. And it's not okay not to be okay. I can't sit in my pain because I don't even know what that is because we move on to what's good. What's the next thing? How do we get there? That's just how I was raised. And so when we don't learn how to really understand our thoughts, our feelings, and our needs, how can we communicate them to somebody else? If we don't understand our own thoughts or feelings and needs and communicate them, how can we ever understand someone else's, right? So communication starts with ourselves. We always want to blame the other person, but we first have to look at ourselves and say, hey, do I understand what I'm thinking, feeling, and needing? Those three words have been uttered multiple times a day in my house for the last 19 days. (laughs) Tell me what you think. How do you actually feel? And then you have to describe what you need, right? And that's our responsibility as the person communicating. Um, I even have a list of soul words, feeling words on my refrigerator, <laughs> because when you don't grow up communicating and understanding feelings, you don't know how to ask for what you need. And then people wonder, like, they don't know you, but I don't know myself. It's not your problem. It's my problem. So I, we have a list of soul words, of words to expand the vocabulary of feelings so we can really understand how we're feeling, um. My brothers and sisters, my mom recently graduated, got promoted. She's in heaven like a year and a half ago, and she was the glue in our family. She brought our family together for all events, everything we did. After she passed, there isn't as much of that continuity. And what we've noticed more, I've got uh, three, two brothers and a sister, there's four of us. What we've noticed more is that when we do come together, there really isn't any depth or closeness. It was just activity that we had before that covered up the lack of depth and closeness of communication and connection. And so we actually today, because we've all gone through our own grieving processes, we've all learned some things about our own heart through the process. And so today we actually have a Zoom call with my brothers and sisters where we're going to talk about what things we can do to change how our family interacts at a more deeply connected level. Because we would come together and have great parties. And I could show you great... Instagram-worthy pictures of great things we did. And I could show you and tell you where people in those pictures were hurting. Nobody was sharing it with each other, right? And family is supposed to be there to connect us and to support us and love and encourage, but none of us grew up that way. And we can't blame our parents because neither one of my parents grew up with their parents. So it's this generational thing, and that went right on down to our kids. So we have four generations that this happened to without us even realizing it. And you know, like I like to say, if we knew better, we'd do better, right? And so now we're learning, and so we're literally having a conversation this afternoon when we're done here today to talk about how do we bring our family closer together, not just in activity, but actually connected in terms of how we feel. And a lot of times that's where our conflicts come from. All right, that's number two. So again, the bottom line of that is if we don't understand how we're thinking, what we're feeling, and what we need, we can't communicate or understand another person's. So it all starts with us. Everybody say, it starts with me. That's right. And the third reason is sometimes our tank, our love tanks are empty. They're on E, right? Everybody understand the love tanks? Basically, we have a tank that measures how much love we have received from others. And when that tank goes on E... It does not communicate what we want, which is we want to feel that people in our lives love us very much. That's what we want to feel. I love you very much is what we want to feel, and it comes through many different ways. We want to feel like he or she gets me and he or she loves me. That's all we really want at the core. And when we don't get that way, when we don't get that, our tanks get empty, we're not really good people to be around, right? And that's where some of those fights come in. Again, it's not about the dishes or the bills or the thing. It's my tank is empty. And so we have to learn how to fill each other's tank. And a healthy marriage is really two selflessly sacrificial people serving each other, selflessly, sacrificially service to each other out of the overflow of God's love. Because we know we weren't created to love each other with human love for a lifetime, right? It's we need Jesus, we need God so that we can really love. So this, so love languages is about understanding what, the other person needs, not what you need. Many of us know the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. But the platinum rule is do unto others as they want to be done to them. That's the sacrificial part. It's going outside of what we need to really meet someone where they are. So you guys have heard of the five love languages uh, from Gary Chapman. Who knows their love language in here? Yeah, good. You know your love language at the bottom there, you can go and take the love language quiz if you haven't taken it. It'll help you understand your love language. You'll want other people in your, in your life to do that as well, just so you can really understand how to meet them. Because the thing about it is typically, naturally, we will treat people with what we want. And it's like speaking Greek to a person who's Italian. It doesn't make sense, right? So we have to learn to speak the language of the other person. Because um, when that tank gets empty and there's no deposits made in it, things get tense. Things get unloving. And we were meant to feel love in many different ways because God created us with lots of different gifts and ways that we receive, right? So what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk through a couple of these. Um, touch. Who in here has got touch as a love language? Yeah, there's the touch people. Touch is all about affection. Touch is all There you go. Touch is all about affection. Here's the thing. Touch people have a touch meter inside their body and it registers everywhere on their body that they ever get touched right and if they don't get enough of that rec- receiving touch they go empty and the thing about touch people when the, when the numbers get really low they get anxious agitated aggravated grumpy cranky it's like a person that needs food right touch is how they feel loved for those of you who are not touched it makes no sense but if you're a touch person you know exactly what I'm talking about say amen there you go, see? <laughs> it's all about affection. We would go, Kimberly and I would go on a vacation. We'd travel around the world. We'd do this great things, and I'm quality time, by the way, so we're spending all this quality time. My tank is filled up, and she's grumpy. And I'm like, we're spending all this money. We're traveling. We're doing these things. We're dancing. How can you be grumpy? She's touch, and the touch has to be public. There has to be holding hands. It has to be done things that show you get me and you love me. So that doesn't make sense to me, right? But I'm learned to move outside of myself to try to do that more. So that's touch, people. Acts of service. Who are the acts of service people? Yeah, they raised their hand fast. (laughs) Acts of service people are about do stuff for me. Do stuff for me. Show me. All acts of service people are born in Missouri, the show me state. (laughs) Show me. Don't tell me you love me. Show me. We don't get it. And they have a service meter inside of them. And the service meter is constantly scanning the environment to see who's done things for me this week. Is my car clean? Do I have gas? The dishes put away? I feel loved. When that meter runs low, just like affection people, they become the worst versions of themselves because the tank is on empty. Amen? How about the gifts people? Who are the gifts people? Yeah, it was a few gifts, people. Good. And you know what, what's interesting about gifts is gifts is not about the gift. The gift is show me that you know me. It isn't about the gift. It's did you take the time to get to know me, know what I like, you thought about me. You were gone on a trip, and you thought about me, and you brought something back. It isn't about the gift. It's really about do you know me, do you get me, are you thinking about me when we're not together. That's what gifts is all about, Thinking. Quality time. Who are the quality time people? I'm quality time, too. Yeah. They enthusiastically raise their hands. For quality time people, it's all about engagement. It's all about connecting and engaging. Um, It's all about an expression of when you spend time with us, we know that you get us. We know that you're interested in us. We know that you like us. It validates us just to spend time together. It's really to be fully engaged, and the opposite is to be distracted and not paying attention and not listening. And I can tell you, early on in my relationship, I would throw temper tantrums like a child. I would want to come home and share and, you know, share my day and talk about things and connect, and my wife maybe wanted to talk about the food or the weather and I wasn't having it. I wanted to go down to the pool and have a good time and talk about our day and our fears and dreams, and for her it was like, just shut up and rub my feet. Okay, could you just shut up and quit telling me about the day and rub my feet, right? So we get into this tense conversation about what's really going on, but it, was, it wasn't about where we went or the dishes. It was underneath, both of our tanks were a little empty. So quality time, words of affirmation. Who are the yeah they, <laughs> words of affirmation people? You like me? If you know a words of affirmation person, put on your cheerleading costume. And cheer everything they do. It doesn't matter what you think about it. Sit on your judgment of how stupid you think it is and cheer them on. Because it's not about you. It's about them feeling from you, I love you very much and I get you. It's not about what you need. It's about what they need to feel loved. And for words of affirmation people, it's not just the words, it's the tone, it's the voice, it's the body language. So if you want to communicate love to a words of affirmation person, don't send them a text. Text, amen. Texts don't work. I think think 7% of communication comes through words and the rest comes through body language and images and energy. So, (laughs) that's right. Emojis may be a little bit higher, but (laughs) FaceTime with somebody. Do a FaceTime or a Zoom with somebody whose words of affirmation because they get to, they read you. It's not about your words. It's reading your heart. What they do is they read your heart to know if you really love them or not, not what you say. Do a FaceTime, call them, leave a voicemail, anything that's more engaging, thinking that you send lots of texts and they're receiving love, tanks on empty, you're you're looking for a fight. Like you premeditated that fight by not giving them what they needed in the full range of communication. How's that? Does everybody recognize something they need to do differently with someone in their life? Amen. So what I want to do now is I want to show you an exercise that we do in our Marriage Alive group that really can help bring all this together so that we connect. It's what we call the six-minute prayer. Who's heard of the six-minute prayer? Yeah, all, of, all the people in our marriage group have done the six-minute prayer. So here's the way it works. And this is something to do proactively before you get into a fight that will prevent fights from building up. So it's six minutes husband and wife, couple, whoever, face each other, and the men start. And the men will speak thanksgiving over their spouses for one minute. The first time you do it, that one minute feels like 10. (laughs) And then as you get into it and start to get comfortable speaking it, things start coming out and you start to see God work, but you speak for one minute to your spouse, thank you for what you've done, thank you for taking care of the house, thank you for loving me, thank you for loving the family, everything that's on your heart that God puts on your heart. Stop. And then the ladies do it back. And it is so amazing to hear your spouse's voice tell you thank you when you didn't ask for it or you weren't looking for it about things you didn't even know that that you did for them. It's amazing. Second minute, forgiveness. This is where the magic happens. Because thanksgiving and blessing are about the other person, forgiveness is all about you. You have to humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. And you have to ask for forgiveness. And so you just start into, forgive me for this thing that I did. Forgive me for thinking that way. Forgive me for not being there for you. Like, all these things. And what we notice is that the person receiving learns about things that the other person is asking for forgiveness for that they didn't even know needed it. Like, this is going deep, deep, deep. Before it builds into a fight, they're asking for forgiveness. And there's a humbleness that happens there. And then you switch. And the, and the ladies do it back, right? So now you've gone to forgiveness. So what happens is, after you've done Thanksgiving and you've done forgiveness, the blessings just flow. They overflow. It's it almost like the forgiveness opens the door for all the blessings to flow. And you pray a blessing over your spouse. You just bless them for all the things you want for them, all the ways God sees them. You tell them about things that we never, ever really talk about, right? We pray sometimes that we don't actually pray a blessing in an intentional way. Then after six minutes, you're done. If you try this once a week, before you get into tough conversations, you'll prevent those tough conversations because nothing ever builds up. I think I think that same week that I told you about, we did the um, five-minute check-in, we did the six-minute prayer. And we didn't want to, most of the time, you do not want to do it. So if you know Like you feel you don't want to do it, then you know you need to do it, right? We know that. We know the enemy wants to keep us comfortable. And so we did not want to do it, but I was like, ah, we got to do it. So we sat, we did the six minute prayer. It just puts you into a whole nother space of connectivity with your partner and really allows you to drop the walls down to focus on connection and really communicate heart to heart with no sense of judgment, no shame, no condemnation. It's all just heart to heart communication. So that's something I would encourage you all to try. I know in our group, many times we start out our group on on once a month, our marriage group doing this, and it just sets us in a different space to receive. Uh, One time there was a couple that came, and uh, we did this for the first time, and they had had one of those loud, intense fellowship discussions on the way to our meeting, and they shared with us afterwards that, you know, they were prepared to kind of be there with crossed arms going through that that night, but when they did that, it released everything. Released everything in the relationship and they were able to receive all that God had for them as we worked to build our relationships. So that's something I encourage you to take a picture of that. So just to kind of wrap up in summary, um, we don't fight. We really don't fight in our relationships. We're just passionate and we want to share our hearts. And we have that untamable tongue problem, right, in the flesh, that we need the Holy Spirit to help us with. And we need to think before we speak. We need to communicate understanding before agreement so that we're always trying to understand not the words, but the person sitting in front of you, understand their heart, and ultimately we want to speak into someone's love language so their tank gets filled. Amen?